Welcome to Interrevolutionary Radio. We're glad to have you here with us today. Your, your host today is Chris Reese, and I'm your co-host, Helen Hillix. And today's show is about an inner revolution in education. What could it look like? How could our teachers, administrators, parents, and students transform and impact all of us in the process? Public school education for all American students is guaranteed by the Constitution and is a basic need for both the student and the community. And today we have live Ann Brennan and Tracy Sreederen. And I will introduce them in just a few minutes, but we are so excited to have them. There's a lot of controversy over the correct education techniques and what form of discipline is necessary or allowed. We also see a heavy emphasis on testing and student achievement while students are struggling socially, emotionally, and behaviorally and are being impacted by all of the traumas and stressors in their lives, both at school and in the community. What if we approached from the perspective of oneness, accountability, and mutual support? What would that look like? How do we approach education with the whole child in mind? How do we consider the needs of the teachers and parents, too? We'll hear from Ann Brennan, a middle school teacher, and Tracy Sreederen, a school psychologist, about their trials, tribulations, and successes as they work to create a harmonious school experience guided by the highest good of all. Chris? Thank you, Helen. We are really looking forward to this show. Um, I'm a parent. I have been a business owner. I'm a manager in the financial services industry, and I hire people. And of course, I have, you know, a, I'm a stakeholder in the community, and I care about people thriving. So, you know, preparing for the show when we were um, talking about it, and you know, wrapping our heads around what we wanted to share, we all could feel how this matters to each one of us, no matter what role we are we have in our life or what particular hat we're wearing. But the quality of education, what's happening to both the students and the teachers, it matters to each one of us on a very deep level. So we're um, just really looking forward to hearing from Anna Tracy and having a real interrevolutionary conversation. And not Helen, to mention, you know, not to mention that the children are the future, period. And if they're not getting all of their needs met and their education isn't doing as, as well as it possibly can do, then we're all going to be sunk because we're depending on it, all of us, whether we even have children or not. Absolutely. Okay, now to the news of the inner revolution. Okay, thank you, Chris. So the first article is from the New York Times, and the title is Obama Bans Drilling in Parts of the Atlantic and the Arctic. And I just wanted to make a quick comment about this, that, you know, people are coalescing in a kind of a, a desperation to block some of the promised uh, regressive moves of uh, President-elect Trump. And this is one of those things. And people are really upset. A lot of people are really upset about the um, about the election and I think that one of the benefits of it, though, is that people are coalescing around things that matter to them. And that's why I chose this article to talk about is that, you know, it's just another example of how people are coming up with creative ideas to try to hold on to the environmental protection 
uh, measures that we have taken and the advances that we have made. And this is one of them that they came into this very creative thinking. Um, and he announced on Tuesday that what he called a permanent ban on offshore oil and gas drilling along wide areas of the Arctic and the Atlantic seaboard as he's trying to nail down his environmental legacy. And he he is invoking an obscure provision of a 1953 law, the Outer Continental Shelf Lands Act, which he said gives him the authority to act unilaterally. So we don't know whether it's going to be a permanent ban or not, but I just feel like it, it is an example of how people are coming together and coming up with creative ideas of how to move forward move forward, move forward, move forward, no matter what. So I thought that was a very interesting idea and uh, hopefully will help. Um, Another one is from The Independent, and then the title of it is Manhattan Project-Sized Effort is Needed to Create Artificial Arctic Ice to Prevent Climate Catastrophe. Well, this this article is kind of scary and hopeful at the same time. They're talking about how the jet stream has changed location and that, you know, cold Arctic air is coming down from the north down into the states and the warm air is going up to the Arctic and that sometimes recently the... um, the temperature has been 37 degrees above normal. So it's kind of frightening. But they're talking about how um, it's the lowest sea ice for the first time, it, that it might be free of sea ice in the summer for the first time in 100,000 years. But the climate scientist, Dr. Peter Gleick, president of the Pacific Institute in California, has warned that you know this is gonna, could be catastrophic, but they have come up with an idea, which is kind of interesting, that they would there would be wind-powered pumps that would cost about five hundred billion dollars over ten years, but that would pump cold air from deep, you know, pump the cold water up and cool the air and blow it out to create ice. Uh, Anyway, I thought that was just a fascinating idea, and it just speaks to what some people are saying, that we have remedies. People have these incredibly brilliant ideas about how we can uh, maneuver the weather and protect ourselves from what this guy is calling certain devastation, and I sure hope so. And then we have another article about... Um, the Texas students who are, um, if I can find that article, we have an article about Texas students who are coming together to provide uh, health benefits. Yeah. Yeah, health benefits. And that is from NPR. And the title is, In Texas, Students Help Provide Healthcare for refugees, and every Wednesday at St. Francis Episcopal Church on the north side of San Antonio, dozens of refugees from all over the world come for free care at the Refugee Health Clinic, and the students and faculty at the University of Texas Health Science Center in San Antonio have teamed up to offer this service, and they said in the past six years, more refugees have resettled in Texas than any other state, which I thought that was interesting also. And that was before 
Texas pulled out of the refugee resettlement program in September. But nonetheless, there are plenty of people from, they say, the Middle East, Africa, Southern Africa, and Asia that have fled violence and persecution, and at least 5,000 refugees live within three miles of this medical center. So the students and faculty have joined together to provide medical care for all these refugees, and that feels like a very inter-revolutionary thing to do, to come together and uh, fight for universal human rights, and of course medical care is certainly one of them. So that was a very inspiring story. So I think that's enough news. Um, I really want to get on and, and hear from Anne and Tracy, and I know all of you guys do too. So take it away, Chris. Thank you. Thank you so much. The stories have a common theme. You said that um, what's happening in the Arctic and the, and the idea of creating the ice-making machine is scary and hopeful at the same time. And I think scary and hopeful at the same time really sums up what we're looking at in terms of the education system. There's some great statistics coming out about how um, more kids that previously may not have graduated from high school are, um, more students that are minorities are are, uh, going to college. Um, There still are some barriers related to access to information about loans and taking on the student debt. But we do see some positive changes. And we also see some conflict. Um, Conflict about what's the right education model, what's the right use of discipline. And across our whole country, you know, we have different opinions and, and we have different opinions that are popular in different regions. But I think all of us have a common belief and that is that we want the students to have an experience where they feel safe where their needs are taken care of, where they can learn, and where they can graduate, being able to fulfill their own potential as well as contribute to society. So from from that vantage point, I really want to turn it over first to Anne. Anne's a teacher in the middle school system. And Anne, could you tell us a little bit about what your day is like with a student population that you serve and you know what you see as some of the challenges to bringing oneness, accountability, and mutual support to the classroom, and also where you've been able to achieve some success in doing so. Sure, thank you. Um, it's great to be here. Thank you for asking me. Um, so my typical day, I teach in um, Fallbrook, California, at a middle school, and I teach English language arts. Seventh grade, um, general ed. So that has those. Cl- I have two classes like that. That's a, a mixture of all types of students, um, different levels of language, English language proficiency, um, special education students. It's a it's a total mixture there. And then I have one class which is we call newcomers, and I have them for language arts and also their English language development class. Um, those are students who have been in the U.S less than two years generally and they're at the beginning level of English so their focus is to get the language skills that they need to then transition to the general ed curriculum as fast as possible um, but because of their language level they can't access the core curriculum so they have a, a special track so that's my uh, my my my, my, uh, my caseload for uh, for lack of a better word um, so typical 
day. Um, my class sizes are, are larger. That's one thing that um, we're working with these days. Uh, I have one class that's 40, so that's one of the challenges. I think you said to mention some of the challenges first. Yeah, yeah. Talk, talk to us about the challenges that you see in helping the individual mm-hmm. students and some of your successes, you know, large and small, where you've been able to bring the inner revolution to the classroom and where you've been able to transform and become mm-hmm. more, uh, you know, engaging with the, the students and the administration in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the challenges involve, well, I'd say there's a, there's a massive range in ability levels. Um, currently, like in a general ed, ed classroom, um, for all kinds of different reasons. But I this year uh, have I have anywhere from like a third grade reading level to twelfth grade reading level in the same class, and that's that's my class of forty. I'd say it has the biggest range. So that's been wow. a challenge, you know, to to teach, you know, to think of like one. I have them for a, you know a block period, um, and so to think of like one lesson, you know, what that I can deliver. Um, effectively that, that really would benefit all students is, is challenging. Um, and we're still in the transition. You know, you were mentioning the scary and hopeful time. I really related to that um, because there are some exciting things happening in our, in our system. Um, there are a lot of reforms, you know, in play, and um, a, lot of, a lot of us are really committed to, you know, enhancing the educational experience for all students, and Common Core is one of the changes, but we're in this transition, so... We have the new standards, right? But we don't have materials yet um, that that really match what we're what we're supposed to be doing. So that that's been a stress and a challenge um, for for many of us to to find materials and resources and to develop lessons that that really will get our students to the deeper thinking and. Um, the, the, to the deeper thinking and the rigor that the new standards require, which we all want. You know, we, we believe in that, but, you know, making so it happen would, is would, a challenge. And can, can I just ask a, a clarification question? Mm-hmm. Are you talking about uh, an education structure that would help get beyond just students regurgitating information to get a good grade and mm-hmm. move them Great. If you could just talk about that for two seconds, because I can tell you as an employer and a person who's hired a lot of people, mm-hmm. we need people who can think critically. And obviously yes. to solve, you know, obviously to solve the world's problems, we need people who can think critically. Yes, and I'd, yes, love, I'd love to hear about your thoughts on that. Yes. And uh, yeah, it's one of the, the core focuses of Common Core is to, to, to prepare students for college and career readiness, right? So it's the deeper level thinking, and there's a big focus on justifying your arguments or any opinion ideas that you have to support it with evidence, Um, whether you're reading fiction, nonfiction, any kind of analysis that you're doing. So that that critical thinking is um, necessary, and it's built into the the new standards. So that's wonderful. Um, And then what else were you saying? Sorry, did you have a question? No, that's helpful. Please, mm-hmm. I'd like to say something here. You know, already I'm feeling overwhelmed. <laughs> uh, and I can't help, you know, as a mental health professional myself, but to think 
constantly about what an overwhelming job you have and Tracy has and, you know, all the people who are trying to teach these kids and provide for the kids, you know, in a holistic kind of way. And just hearing about the standards and that you've got to teach this and that and evidence-based and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, this isn't even talking about the fact that almost all these kids that are newcomers have been traumatized probably in some way or other. And, mm-hmm. and not to mention the other kids, you know, in the quote-unquote regular classroom, you know, are traumatized one way or the other. And, yeah. you know, it's like, it's like you're not – you can't just – of course, this is what the whole topic about being an inter-revolutionary educator is about. You can't just talk about, you know, the common core. You have to include the common core with the psychological awareness and the emotional awareness and the social awareness. And I, I just had to say that before we go on because, like I said, I feel already overwhelmed just at the enormity of the task in front of you every day, every day. Just the idea of coming up with something that's helpful for third grade reading to twelfth grade reading—it's like I want to shoot myself. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, why don't we? Why don't we jump to and you know give us some? Tell us what it's like in the trenches and where you've had some successes and how you've done it, so other other <laughs> teachers and parents can hear it. Oh, thank you. Well, it brings tears to my eyes to hear you say that, Helen, um, because it is it is just, it is it's a very uh, it's very overwhelming and daunting. Um, and um, that has that's a challenge sometimes. It's just to like, as an interrevolutionary, as someone who I am committed to um, doing what's for the highest good of all um, of all my students. So you know, I I can't like I'm kind of incapable of like ignoring um, their needs, and uh, but I am overwhelmed by them. So I uh, one of the so well. So sorry. So. To tell me what some of the successes I've had, or sure, um, tell us some specific challenges and successes, and so yeah. others can hear how to do it. I, what I'm working on now really is, um, you know, I have a great mentor, <laughs> founder of Interrevolution.org, um, Beth Green, who mentors me, and you know, she's helping me really to um, really find that balance and incorporate, you know, the, the the focus on you know providing the quality educational curriculum, right? But really connecting to the kids because connecting to their needs, um, you know, emotionally um, as well as educationally is, is like core to everything. I mean, they can't, they're not going to listen to me anyway, you know, if I'm not connected to them and I can't, I can't find that lesson, right? If there is one, right, that, that is, matches the group um, if I'm not connecting to them. So I've been working through my own um habits that I've developed over the years. I've been teaching 14 years now um, where I've just sometimes disconnected from them and just tried to focus on like finding the right lesson or finding the best curriculum and not really taking in um, the whole of who they are and where they're coming from. So I've been working on that this year and it's made a big difference um, in how I feel being there and how I think they feel. I mean, there's one student who... Honestly, as Helen, as you were saying, you know, I'm supposed to be focusing on, okay, justify your thinking, you know, find your evidence, highlight it, you know, circle it, <laughs> write it down. And I have a student who, you know, I mean, his, really what I'm working on with him right now is just like him being able to do, do even like 25% of his work, you know, just even being able to sit for maybe five minutes and attend to any one of the tasks, you know, and sometimes he's just hungry. You know, Beth helped me like, 
talk a little bit about him and connect with him is like he's just hungry sometimes, you know. So now I I I'm more connected with him, and sometimes he'll just tell me. Now he feels comfortable asking me, "Hey, I need a snack," and he knows where the snacks are. There's another room on campus. Um, one of the campus supervisors keeps snacks, so I just let him go. You know, get what he needs, and um, it's it makes bring tears to my eyes because it's like I was battling with him so much, and because I really wasn't um, allowing myself to let go of, like, my agenda, you know, and my fears about, well, what if the principal comes in and everybody's not, you know, highlighting the, what, what their stuff or if <laughs> what they're doing doesn't match the objective on the board. You know, you have to have objective on the board, and then whatever you're doing has to be matching the objective, and the kids are supposed to be able to articulate, you know, what they're doing and how it connects <laughs> to their You know, goal. I remember that. <laughs> I remember that one, I don't know what, what workshop we were in or whatever, where um, you were going to take back to your class and say, you know, I bet you think that I'm a teacher, mm-hmm. but but I'm not. I am a fighter. <laughs> I am a fighter, and I am here to fight for your life. And every time I say that, it makes me cry. Because yeah. that's what you're that's what you're really doing as an interrevolutionary educator, is you are fighting for these kids' lives. And yeah. you know they may never they may never have had that before, and they mm-hmm. may not have it after you, but mm-hmm. to to experience someone who who really cares enough about them that you are fighting for their lives, and th- this is one example of that, is the mm-hmm. boy's hungry, you know, and you're helping to fight for what he really needs, and then yeah. he can move on to something else that he needs. Yeah. But I just you know, admire you. the two of you so much for being fighters for their lives. <laughs> Thank you. I, you know, the, I, I do too. And another piece I want to add is that sometimes we create structures and we feel safe if we stay within the structure, like you were saying, well, if I follow the plan and they see <laughs> the kids highlighting, you know, the principal will think I'm doing a good job. And we have to risk going outside of a structure to try something different Mm-hmm. To really connect, you know, in a real way, mm-hmm. to um, to get a different outcome, mm-hmm. to the to the long term goal, and I think that's part of being in a in a revolutionary too is like not focusing on short term gain, you know, or just like what we our own personal safety, right? And um, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah, it's like I've gone through that phase. Now it's like, okay, well, if everybody's got their highlighter out and doing the right thing, you know, that he's happy and then his boss is happy and then his boss is happy or she, you know, but it's like, what? Right. but really none of us <laughs> are addressing the real needs, which is not what any of us want, right? So um, I've been able to, you know, I'm learning to get that bigger perspective um, and it's exciting and sometimes I'm scared, you know, but um you know, sometimes they come in and it doesn't look the way I th- I think they think somebody thinks it's supposed to look right. But uh, nobody's fired me yet, and um, I think we're heading in the right direction. So it feels good. That's so cool. Let Let's hear from Tracy for a little bit, and then let's see what what dialogue just naturally comes up between the two of you. Does Great. that feel right? Yes. Okay. Tracy, we'd love to hear your interrevolutionary experience coming from the perspective of being both a school psychologist and now being in an administrative um, uh, executive position with the state. So please share. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I've enjoyed the conversation so far. And I was thinking back to how um, Ann and I met 
in an educational setting. We were in AmeriCorps together setting up programs in the school like 18 years ago and, you know, how we both have a passion for education and, and 18 years later we're still here, you know, trying to, <laughs> to do our best to make it work. And, um, yeah, I worked in the schools as a school psychologist for nine years before I switched to working at the state level at first as a specialist and now <clears throat> as a director um, of professional learning. And what I was really connecting to First of all, was the overwhelm, you know, the sense of overwhelm. I felt that, too, when I was in the schools, and I saw all the needs of the kids. And um, and also what Helen was saying about, you know, we have to focus on the whole child. Not only do the teachers have all this pressure to teach standards and skills, but we have children walking in the door with so many needs, uh, you know, many things we don't even know about. You know, they have family problems or like Anne said her students hungry or you know we have children who right now are be afraid of deportation I was just talking about uh, yeah. talking to the superintendent last mm-hmm. week about that and you know how they're having to create supports for students and their families who are really struggling and in fear um, you know we have bullying in schools we have violence in the home and and all of these things are happening and impacting kids in the classroom but we don't always have structures in place to help support students or, or teachers, you know, with that, um, because, you know, we have to focus on the whole child. So that's, I think, where my mind has shifted over time from, you know, first being a psychologist and kind of seeing those needs to now working at the state level. How are we really focusing on the whole child um, in terms of education? Again, those critical thinking skills, like you mentioned, basic skills, um, and then creating environments where kids feel safe, um, valued, included and they have something to contribute to you know I was also thinking about how we've had some guests on the show recently Ashanti Branch and we had um, um, a couple a school counselor and a teacher from Virginia too talking about that talking about working with kids and really understanding what their experiences are and, and what they're feeling and helping them express that in order to then you know support them in other academic areas so just if, if I were to be talking about a shift or a trend in my own thinking, and I think generally speaking, too, more and more educators are seeing that it's, it's making that shift and the need for making that shift. And what challenges have you faced, Tracy, as you've gone through the process of shifting your paradigm? Well, um, that's a good question. I think I think for myself just personally, I, I don't like to rock the boat, you know, or or do things that make other people feel uncomfortable or I think will make them feel uncomfortable. So it's always a stretch for me to, to try something different and new where I think it might make, you know, people uncomfortable. So that's that's what I come across when I was in the schools where, you know, I'd have to, I'd need to challenge teachers to work with the student in a different way or even now challenging educators to think beyond just those core areas and, and the needs of the whole child. Um, but truthfully, I kind of think it's all in my head sometimes because many people understand and recognize this need, you know. So I don't know that it's always factual or real or just something in my own mind, you know, some some way of being that I've had for a long time. But uh, I also, Beth mentors me as well. She said the other day, she said something like, your lack of confidence cannot get in the way of the well-being of these children. And I thought, yes, mm. that's right. Or anything else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, as as you're talking about these things, again, I am so struck by the unbelievable insanity of of ourselves 
to believe that it could be any other way. It, mm-hmm. it makes no sense that a child who is hungry, a child who is traumatized, you know, is going to go to school and be able to learn well. You know, it just, it's, it's, it's unfathomable to me that it's taken all of us, and I include myself, this long to realize that we must be dealing with the whole person. Mm-hmm. We, we were talking about that a bit yesterday, Anne and um, Tracy and I started, you know, looking at it, and I, I know when I think about it, it brings up, again, that feeling of overwhelm. Like, if I put myself in the shoes of being an administrator at the school or being a teacher and having the 40 students come in and knowing, wow, like, some significant percentage of these kids are either having, you know, emotional trauma at home, possible physical trauma at home. Um, They have their own mental health issues or their own physical health issues. They may not be eating properly. Their parents may be loading them up with sugar before they come to class. And if I was faced with that and I thought it was my responsibility to do something about it, it would be really scary. And I could I could see how it would be comfortable to retreat behind um, some kind of structure and say, well, I'm going to teach the kids, I'm going to test the kids, I'm going to push the kids to score well, and then I'm going to feel like I'm doing something instead of just allowing myself to go towards the pain and finding what is my job, what maybe it's a little one, but what is my job here to help? And Helen, you know, you've done some work with the interrevolution.org to, to help deal with this with the, with the teachers um, at some of the local schools in San Diego. You know, why don't you talk to us about what the teachers have said to you and, and what, what we found works to go towards the pain? Well, I think primarily the the feeling is of one of overwhelm, just as Tracy and Anne are both sharing that that the students or the teachers have and the other staff members too, the principals, the support staff, the counselors, everyone has just become progressively more and more and more overwhelmed, um, not just by the academic demands, but by the the more evidence every day showing that trauma affects everyone in the classroom, not even just the kids that are being traumatized, but everyone in the classroom, because we are one. So, you know, that's the primary feeling, I think, is people that that the teachers start feeling overwhelmed, and then they start feeling hopeless. And I think depends on how one handles such feelings. You know, some people work harder and and get a lot of support, which, which is a good way of handling it, I suppose. But, you know, other people get resentful and angry and they get paranoid and start worrying about, you know, are there terrorists coming to my school? And there has been a lot of separation energy among the teachers. And instead of seeing their commonality and helping one another with whatever strengths I've got, I'm going to share with you and you can share your strengths with me. You know, they're there may be in some places there have been a tendency to separate and the the principals are waking up just like the rest of us to the needs of the whole and that's why they've been calling on us and lots of other people lots of other organizations and communities to come in and help them to train their their teachers um, in a different way so that they can begin talking about their own pain not just the pain of what they see every day in their students, but their own pain. 
and how they can get support. We're going to do a, a series of trainings about that very thing at an elementary school here in San Diego starting next month. And we're really looking forward to that because the first time we went to the school, that's what came out was exactly what I'm talking about. And we've got lots of different ways, but basically it boils down to what you were saying, Chris, is that we have to go toward the pain. No matter how overwhelming it may seem, we have to go toward the pain. And as you said also, even if there's a little small thing that we are able to do, that is the only antidote to that feeling of helplessness is taking action. And so that's what we're doing. And I I hope that everyone who listens to this show will think of a way that you can take action, that you can uh, volunteer in Anne's classroom, or you can uh, come up with with some way of making a difference, no matter how small or large, donate to your local schools, whatever it may be, help school bonds pass to get better facilities. There is a way that you can make a difference. And, and again, that's the only way that you're going to feel better about this overwhelming um, endeavor of, of an educating the whole child. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting how we have to first help the, the adults heal so that they have something actually for the children, you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and... And you went through an experience where you had to face some of your own fears and you ended up taking on a leadership role and um, being engaged with the union. Mm-hmm. I, I think that it's really interesting to hear about your process there and how you sort of grew up and you matured during, during that time mm-hmm. and what, what, it, what, it, what it looks like today as you practice I am that, you know, mm-hmm. and you work really hard to overcome the tendency to separate. Could you share with us about that? Sure. Yeah, that's definitely been part of my own growth. Um, and, you know, being able to start to just get like us homeless and share our strengths. You know, there's many different ways that we can do that. And um, I'd say my second or third year in Fallbrook, like someone approached, they had approached me a couple of times. To be involved in a union, and at the time, I really, I was not interested at first, because uh, I saw it as very contentious. There was a very t- contentious relationship between district management and union, and, um, you know, I've, similar to what Tracy was mentioning, we've been friends for a long time for a reason. <laughs> we've got some similar things going on where we don't like to, uh, you know, I don't like to, you know, make anybody mad, and so I felt like, kind of like a kid with their parents were fighting, you know, and I didn't know. And both of them I saw as people I needed, you know, I need to, you know, for my own self-protection, right? And was in that mode, it's like, well, I, I don't want to make anybody mad. Um, but there, over time, um, you know, the, the, our union leadership changed and also the district leadership changed and there was sort of a new face to it. And they approached me because they said, you know, we really want um, a coalition or a group of people who are respected by both district management, you know, district leadership, and by their peers. By, and I had been named Teacher of the Year recently, and I was well respected by my staff. And so, you know, I said, yes, you know, I am interested. Because it isn't also in my nature to um, be careful about things. You know, I want to be involved in decisions that affect me. And, um, I, you know, I appreciate the opportunity to collaborate. So I got involved and, of course, hit my fears again because now I'm face-to-face at this negotiating table, you know, with these 
suits. <laughs> I felt like you know, it really was like a boardroom type of a thing. You know, I imagined like that you're fired <laughs> energy of, around me at first. Um, so it took a while to be able to speak um, openly, but um, I don't know how I could say exactly I got over that. But, um, you know, Beth talks a lot about, you know, how your caring creates courage gives you courage. Courage. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has, def- I'd, I'd say that is what has happened with me, right? It's like, yeah, there's my fear, but it's like, I, I, I it's more important to me. You know, I care more about my colleagues and, you know, having um, an equitable, um, you know, contract and um, life work balance, all of these things. Um, and to, as you were saying, to be able to take care of themselves so that they can be there for the kids. Um, and, you know, and I care about the kids' needs being met, um, and them having quality educators, all of that, you know, more than, you know, me caring about, oh, am I going to make somebody mad, and they're not going to, I don't know, give me a nice classroom next year, (laughs) whatever that I think they can do for me. Um, so that has made a huge difference, and I, it's also, as I've grown in my, um, my personal development, and believing in, in oneness, accountability, and mutual support, you know, I really do believe that people um, want the best for, for everyone. And I do believe all the people in that room, that negotiating room that I was talking about, really are there because they care about kids and they care about teachers and they care about families. Um, and we're there to, to communicate, right, and, and come to agreements that, that are for the best, you know, that we can come up with, you know, as a group for everyone. And coming from that belief, I, I feel, has made a huge difference in the way that we, we know, with the union, when we come up with our, you know, our um, agenda items and things, and when we collaborate, when we negotiate, when we're all coming from that place, it makes, it makes a very a big difference. And a lot of, I really believe that we both have different perspectives to share and that we need each other. So, for example, I appreciate being a teacher and knowing I have my small perspective, right? I have this little perspective I have from being one teacher in one classroom, um, and I develop opinions and beliefs about what's going on based on that, but then I really appreciate having this opportunity to hear about the bigger picture or from the side of an administration and hearing their struggles, you know, when they're trying to think about the needs of the entire school district, you know, and with limited resources and trying to meet all of these needs, um, and I appreciate the, the bigger perspective that that gives me to be, um, include, you know, like able to contribute in that way. We need you on the national level. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, I'm it. just saying, you know, the political scene is so contentious. I know. And we need voices like yours that say, no, mm-hmm. we have to do what is for the <laughs> highest good of all. And yeah. not just the little group of coal miners or the mm-hmm. whatever, but, you know, it's the same yeah. principles, isn't it? Yes, we're in it together, you know, and everybody we are matters. in it together. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think what you just said, caring creates courage. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important for everyone listening to take in, you know, and because yes. and, we all have our space where there's something in our heart that we know just isn't right. And it could be at home, it could be at work, it could be at school, it could be anywhere, you know, it could be what we're doing to help further some um, different conversations on a national level, it could be anywhere, and caring creates courage, so, so you know, Anne has overcome, 
um, the story that we should play it safe and be secure and make sure we're always in the good graces of the powers that be so that we're safe. And, mm-hmm. you know, as, as Anne said, she hasn't gotten fired yet. You know, look, <laughs> teacher of the year, asked to be on the union team at the bargaining table. It, it actually looks mm-hmm. like courage is a respected value. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Believe right? it or not. Yeah, I think when it comes from that place, when you're not being adversarial, you're, you're speaking up because you care. You know, it's different. Right. And it, it is it's very heard different. differently. I yeah. Think. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think that's something that you do very well, Anne. Uh, you know, I can, knowing you, I can say that you, um, it is, it's inspiring. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, well, Tracy, what would you like to offer to our, to our conversation right now after listening to all this from your perspective? Um, well, I, yeah, I can appreciate what you were sharing and the courage it took for you, Anne, to you know, stand up and be a voice that maybe would have gotten resistance. And so I, I appreciate that. I don't, I don't know if it relates exactly, but one of the things I was thinking that makes it um, challenging to do that or challenging to ch- change practice is sort of this competition that we have, um, mm. you know, with, with, with each other, you know, that creates opposition. So it's like we're proving, you know, we're spending a lot of time proving ourselves Um, rather than coming together and and offering what we have for one another. And I think we teach our kids the same thing, you know, to compete um, for the resources or for the grades or or whatever. And so... Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Yeah. Or even as a parent, you know, our child's about to go into kindergarten, and and it's sort of crazy in the way people are talking about selecting schools for their college, and, um, you know, this school gets this grades, and it's... It's, it's very competitive. It's like if you don't engage in the race, you're going to lose, you know, or if you don't look better than the teacher in the room next to you, you're going to you know, fall behind or, or whatever. So what you were mm-hmm. talking about, Anne, is that principle of, you know, mutual support, I think, um, and shifting out mm-hmm. of that space of competition into mutual support that really we're all better off when we stop competing with one another and look at what we can build together and creating environments mm-hmm. where we do that. That's what I was thinking as you were talking. Have you have you been able to do that with your team, Tracy? Yeah, that's that's what I feel like has been a big focus for me lately. I just shifted into a new role. So before um, at the state, I was a specialist. I had my specialty content area of coaching, and now I am a supervisor for a section of about fourteen people who all have different roles. And you know, that's what I um, keep focusing on and reiterating with our group is that. Um, that we, we're all here for the same why. You know, we're all here because mm. we want to help children succeed and we care. And, what, you know, whatever it looks like in our jobs, you know, that's, that's really what we're here for and how can we support one another to do that. So that is what I've been trying to focus on because we've had a lot of changes. I mean, even though we're not in a school setting and, you know, I don't have, when I was a school psychologist, I had students who had tried to commit suicide. I had students who were engaging in really dangerous behavior, and I, I carried all of these things home with me every night because they were right there in front of me, and I, I cared. So I don't have that direct contact with kids as much, but there's still a lot of stress, you know, at all levels, and there's a lot of change at all levels, and that creates stress. So when we can come together and feel ourselves as a team, you know, marching towards that same goal, I think it's, it's very empowering, and it strengthens all of us. So I've been trying to focus on that and help support 
the group with that too, even though we are faced with challenges and, and lots of change on a daily basis too. And opposition, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, whether we're talking about this within our families or within the school system or within the political system or within corporations or companies, it's really all the same thing. It's that same, I mean, that's one of the reasons I love the inner revolution is because those principles of oneness, accountability, and mutual support apply everywhere you go. And mm-hmm. what all the challenges that you're talking about are are human challenges. They aren't even just education challenges. They're human challenges to get mm-hmm. beyond the ego and mm-hmm. to stop stop that focus on competition and come together and realize how much we do care about each other. I think that so many people in our culture have have taken on the mantle of self-indulgence. And self-centeredness because it hurts so much to care and feel like there's nothing you can do about it. But if there's anything I'm taking away from from your interviews today, it's that we can all make a difference and that we are never going to feel better when we take on that mantle of self-indulgence. We're not going to feel better. We're going to feel worse. But if we can come together as a team, like you were saying, and we're all fighting for the same thing, we're all, everybody, no matter what side you're on, so to speak, Mm -hmm. we all want our children to be safe. We Mm -hmm. all want our children to be well-educated. We all want healing and good jobs and, and a good future. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I just feel like you, you two are living examples of doing that and fighting for that every day. And the inner revolution you guys have represented so well because you're talking so much about your own inner revolution, your fear of not looking good or not being liked or getting in trouble or whatever and how you've had to overcome that and, and the overcoming it with the courage that comes from caring. Man, yeah. if we could take take that on as a as a mantra in our country, you know, find the courage you have by realizing how much you care. I think our mm-hmm. world could be a completely different mm-hmm. place, and so and so can the education system. Absolutely, yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. It's exciting, I agree. As yeah, well. I, I think part of that too is really trying to understand where people are coming from. You know, I, I can remember, too, working in the schools and actually even, you know, at this level, too. If, you know, when children were acting out, I, I, could, I, I felt like they made me look bad. <laughs> like, because I couldn't, you know, I didn't have this great answer or solution or strategy that was going to make it better and kind of fix the problem. Rather than really identifying what's happening with that student, you know, how can I relate to that student? How, how am I that student? And, you know, what do they really need? And um, I wanted to share an exercise that Beth has offered for a training that we did recently where it was focused on demystifying disabilities. So we were helping educators understand specific learning disabilities and what that looks like and how it impacts students. But what Beth had offered was to have the educator start with what disabled my capacity to learn and really reflect on themselves and their, you know, growing up years and what education was like for them. And it could have been, you know, dysfunction in the family that took their attention away from schooling or, or a focus on achievement rather than the learning um, or, or, you know, addiction and so on. So we had done this exercise with these educators, and it was amazing 
the, the honesty with which they shared. And, you know, one gentleman shared that his, his father was a raging alcoholic and he could never predict what was going to happen. And so he couldn't focus in school and same with another teacher. And as they were talking, then they were saying, and, you know, many of our students have the same experience. You know, I can see it in their eyes and I, I get it. And it, it took it out of, oh, okay, these kids are so different. You know, kids with disabilities are so different. That's them, this mm-hmm. is us. No, you know, we all have challenges that we face. And when we really connect to one another and, and have that understanding, it, there's just so much that, that feeling of oneness, you know, that dissipates that disconnection and helps us mm-hmm. have that starting point for what we can do about it from that from that place. Oh, yeah, I can, I can see... Bringing that also to the parents, you know, so that the parents and teachers could mm-hmm. connect that way and and bridge that separation, right? You know, with, or separation between parents and educators. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like we're yeah. not so different either. Yeah. Right. Right. And we we we, as Helen was saying, we want the same thing. I think um, as a parent and having never been an educator, I can see how I've been um, fallen into that trap of thinking that the parents uh, should be able to expect the teachers to do something that the parents aren't even doing. (laughs) Like, (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you brought that up, Chris, because the parent, the parents are such an important part of this. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Right. And like, where have I thought, you know, why can't that teacher just deal with my son? You know, why, why, why is that teacher, why is that classroom so out of control? You know, why, 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 why can't she, 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 you know, and really not stopping and taking in what the teacher's world is like and the challenges mm-hmm. being put upon them and think about the teacher as a whole person, you know, not just there to, you know, warehouse my child while I'm working or ensure you my- look good. Well, that's what I was going to say, or ensure that my child scores well on tests so that he can get into a good college, you know, all those ego stories. Like, that's actually, mm-hmm. as we've been talking today, that, that that's a small part of the job. Like, really, if children could learn how to be of service and cooperate with each other and think critically, the things that we've been teaching mm-hmm. in the Interrevolution Family Program, you know, then the learning would be different, And how they feel about each other. God, I mean, my son, he's 14. He's come home so many days just feeling such low self-esteem. And I know he's not unique, right? This is just like the story of middle school and high school. And it starts starts earlier with the bullying. And Mm -hmm. like, what can we do? Like, there has to be more that we can do as a collective Mm -hmm. to help change that dynamic. I mean, God, between like... You have to have the right tennis shoes and the right haircut and the right everything to fit in. It's it's so painful. Mm-hmm. And it I really the, the oh go ahead, Ann. Oh, sorry. Well, I was just it reminded me of an exercise I've done with the kids that I think helps with that. But um, I want to let you finish. Oh and no, go ahead, please. Oh okay. Um, as as a, when Tracy was sharing, it reminded me of just you know this of like the ability to to develop empathy and to be able to think from another perspective is so important and so powerful and so needed. Now, especially today with kids being online so much and things, right now you know our whole society is getting kind of like disconnected, right? Um, but I just did, and I thought any of you're out there and you're a parent, you're a teacher, or anyone who 
is working with youth ever and you see the need for them to um, think about what something, what it's like for other people. Quickly do this exercise. I've done it twice now where they're just, they just write um, or they could just speak from the, another per, from the other person's perspective. So I first had them just like create a story where they were writing in the first person, you know, about as if they were the main character writing about themselves. But just even last week, they, they got a really bad note from a sub substitute teacher. And I was really disappointed, you know, um, not like my image, but just that, that, that that had happened, that they, that, that they really hadn't shown that ability, you know, to have that respect and that mutual support. So I was really proud of myself in that moment because usually I would like get really angry and frustrated, but I just thought, well, I need to support them. So we took out our papers and we, I said, imagine you're the teacher, you know, that substitute teacher, please write what your day is like, what, what your day was like yesterday. You know, how do you feel? And um, they all were really excited to do that. And then they, 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 they come up with this idea to rate themselves as a class, and now they're going to have a substitute when we come back. And they all agreed they were a 3 out of a 10, and that, that you know, we have a goal, and now that they're going to have a sub that we, we get back from break, and, you know, they're, they're excited to improve themselves. And we come up with some strategies to help them, you know, do a better job. And I, I was wanting to teach them that, like, this is what you do when you have a challenge. And I told them, you don't feel horrible about yourself. You don't go in, I'm a horrible person. You think, okay, what what happened? What can I do, you know, to improve? So. That's a great story. I, I don't want to interrupt, but we've got two minutes left, and I really right. need to read. I need to read the e card for next week, and then we can come. <laughs> we can come back and and uh, tell Tracy and Anne how great they are. <laughs> so, what's in store for Inner Revolutionaries in 2017? We'll ask Madame Mazurka, the funniest dead Transylvanian psychic you ever met. If you've never met the hilarious Madame Mazurka, you're in for a treat. She only comes out on special occasions when Beth Green puts on a long scarf and turns into a dead Transylvanian psychic who tells it like it is and has enough insight to make us all feel uncomfortable, but also in awe. Last year, Madam M predicted 2016 would be a transformative year in which the worm would come out. However you interpret that, you have to admit it's pretty darn psychic. This year, we're throwing another party featuring Madame Mazurka for our final get-together of 2016, with Madame M being interviewed by our very own Christine Benton. We'll be ta- taking calls, too, so join us for a time of insight, humor, and some New Year's predictions. And happy 2017 from Beth, James, Helen, Todd, Chris, Christine, and the whole Interrevolutionary Radio gang. Thank you. I just want to share some... Um, some comments made today and some themes, you know, we started with that sounds scary, but hopeful. <laughs> we, we looked at our feelings of overwhelm and, you know, we ended with caring creates courage. And I, I want to end our show with that note, you know, caring creates courage and Annie and um, Tracy and Helen and even me, you know, we're all doing our best to do that in the world. And we want to, encourage others to do the same and reach out to people that you love, people that you care about and put some energy into a cause that matters to you. And then bring that energy into the holiday season too. We're going into Christmas on Sunday. And I love what you said, you know, caring creates courage and let's bring that energy into our homes because that's what it means to be an inner revolutionary. 
Thank you for joining us for this edition of Inner Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green and James Maynard. The next episode will broadcast live next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And don't forget Inner Revolutionary TV on voiceamerica.tv. Think outside the box and join us.